Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 198. And as always, the Red and White Authority is brought to you by Labette Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, you know the routine. What better way to cap off your day with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? But we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly. With that said, let's get right into the show. Uh, Red Wings have been very active uh, this offseason, and who better to talk about it than my good friend, I've known him a long time, a man that sometimes I even call brother, the one and only, the radio voice of the Detroit Red Wings, Ken Cal joins us. Ken, thanks for, for being out of the Red White Authority. Well, I don't know about that uh, introduction there. That's going to be hard to beat for somebody else. But uh, you and I go back a long way. Uh, we've got a lot of history with the Detroit Red Wings, and we're really looking forward to this year, Art. You know, I'll tell you what, Ken, real quickly. I, I, I sometimes can't believe how long ago it was that you and I and a few other people drove back and forth on a Friday and Saturday, two consecutive days, to watch Michigan in a CCHA playoff game against the Western Michigan Broncos. It was, uh, it was crazy. I mean, those were really, really good times. And uh, who knows? I think that might have been the first time Michigan had qualified for the CCHA playoffs uh, under Red Barons and his coach. You know, one of the other things I remember about that trip is uh, it's about uh, a two-hour ride, maybe a two-and-a-half-hour ride to Kalamazoo from Ann Arbor. But I remember on the way back after one of those games, uh, we just started – telling jokes and I think we told jokes all the way back to Ann Arbor from uh, from Kalamazoo so it was a lot of fun it was a good road trip unfortunately Michigan didn't win that series and uh, you know things were looking better though in the years coming up for the for the Michigan Wolverines for right, sure right and and I'm pretty I'm wondering did Michigan I think Michigan had the wing the winged helmet on at that point I think yeah, I think you're right, and I think it could have been the first year that they were wearing the winged helmet. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I'll have to check that out, but I think, actually, they debuted those in the playoffs. When they made the playoffs is when they came out wearing that, and they've obviously ever worn it since. But anyway, you know, I can get off on Michigan, and Kenny, I know you can too, so let's get right into it. Uh, uh, what an off season for the Red Wings. Uh, I, I think we both know Steve Eisenman very well, and if there's a deal or if there's something that's going to make the Red Wings better, he's going to do it regardless of the time of year. If something is presented to him, he likes it, boom, he pulls the trigger. But this offseason, are you surprised at the activity? Well, it started off kind of slow, and then it kind of built up momentum all the way until they got Alex Dabrinkit. So it kind of reminded me of uh, just a slower pace of how they were going to operate this season going into this next season. And really, when you think about it, they've got nine new faces this year that'll be on the Red Wing lineup and a lot of a lot of different names and a lot of different numbers we're all going to have to memorize. But for the most part, I think it ended really well for Detroit. And we all talked about over the last several years how the Red Wings needed some goal scoring punch. And certainly they got it with Alex Dabrinkit. And we're always looking forward to seeing what he can do and what the rest of the team can do coming up this season. Hopefully offensively, this team will be better. Right, certainly. Uh, you know, let's let's get in with the additions first. And then we'll talk about the overall the team and maybe a couple of prospects because we'll be up at the prospects tournament. Uh, Ken and I, and uh, we will be live streaming the three games that the Red Wings will play uh, in the Prospects Tournament against the uh, prospects of the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, the Dallas Stars, and the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
And uh, that commences, uh, I think the first game that we do, Ken, is the 14th of September that uh, DetroitRedWings.com will uh, live, uh, live stream that. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, Brinkett, you know, I mean, it was rumored. I, I guess it was the worst kept secret in all of hockey. I mean, every day there was a Brinkett watch. At, at times I thought it was going to happen. At times I didn't think it was going to happen. And then as usual, when it happened, Boom, you know, it was, it kind of came down really, really fast. I, I mean, the thoughts of bringing Debrinket here, what can he add? The goal scoring, you've seen him play a little bit more than me because you, you're on the road, but uh, what can you tell us about him? What kind of player do you, what do you like about his game? Well, I remember Alex Debrinket, you were talking about the Prospects Tournament, and I remember when he, Chicago was playing Detroit in the Prospects Tournament when he was a rookie, and I go, wow, this kid, he's not a very big guy, but man, he has a nose for the net. He can put the puck in. And not only that, he's an outstanding playmaker as well. And little did I know that uh, in the next several years, he was going to be a 40-goal scorer in the National Hockey League. But he's really good. He had a, a good setup man with Patrick Kane when he was playing in Chicago. But the Red Wings, and you and I talked about this a lot over the last several years, they need some offense. And you know, I look at the power plays of the top teams in the National Hockey League. If you're in the top 10 power play in the National Hockey League, chances are you're going to make the playoffs. Well, the Red Wings, I think, just got better as far as the power play goes, just with the acquisition of Alex Dabrinkit. So uh, I really like the way he's not a, a big player. He's not a physical player. But he's kind of like that Marcel Dion type player where he can score from anywhere on the ice in the offensive zone. And not only that, he's a terrific playmaker. So he's only going to make his line mates better. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. I mean, he just seems to be such a, uh, um, a dynamic player. And the thing I like about him, as you said, he's not the biggest guy in the world. However, he does play with a lot of grit. Well, he does. And uh, he's not afraid to back down from anybody. I know last year in Ottawa, he, him and Mo Sider had a couple of uh, rough goings on, if you want to call it that, uh, during the course of the game in Ottawa. But you know, he's, he's not a guy that's going to go out and fight, obviously, but um, he's quite the competitor out there on the ice. And I really like the fact that he's a proven goal scorer, and there's not too many of those that can score from anywhere on the ice. I remember Brendan Shanahan. He was one of those guys, no matter where he was in the offensive zone, he could put the puck in the back of the net. Debrinkit's like that as well. But again, he can dish the puck off too. And um, what he likes to do as well is he can draw players to him, maybe one or two players, find the open man, get him the, the pass over to him, and the other guy can score the goal too. So I'm looking forward to see how he's going to match up in, in the preseason and also in the regular season and who are his line mates are going to be coming up in this next season as well. Well, you know, most projections, and I have a bunch of projections in front of me here, but it seems that, and I've kind of put a compilation of all of them together, how people think the lines are going to uh, kind of shake out, at least in the beginning, uh, barring injury, of course. And that would be Dylan Larkin at center. Right wing is Lucas Raymond, and left wing is Alex Dabrinkit. And I'm not saying that these guys are not tough. They're NHL players. They're tough. They're physical. They'll play the game. We just said Dabrinkit uh, won't back down, but... I'm kind of wondering, Ken, I'd like to see maybe a gritty winger added to that first line. Uh, and I think what happens is, is when you take a, a, a goal scorer and all three of those uh, uh, gentlemen can score goals, that it actually could make your second line even stronger, putting somebody who has, is offensive-minded. But, I mean, do you like that combination? Do you think that? Obviously, it's not up to us, but do, uh, you know, do you see that maybe being Detroit's first line? 
Yeah, I can see that. I, I, I think that would be a solid good first line for Derek Lalonde's club. But on the other hand, they're going to have a chance to practice, and I know he's going to mix and match some of the other players that will be on the team as well. So, you know, they've got a lot, a, a four or five weeks, you know, before uh, the start of the first game against New Jersey to kind of work everything out. But one of the things that I, I really like about the Red Wings right now is they're actually pretty deep. They've got four lines that they can roll out uh, each and every game, providing they're healthy. And that's something that really they didn't have over the last several of seasons. They've had a couple of strong lines, maybe a check-in line as well. But, uh, you know, right now they got some pretty good balance up on all four lines. Well, certainly. Uh, I mean, I think Steve would be the first to admit that uh, you know, what made the Red Wings so great was that they had four solid lines, you know, back in uh, uh, the heyday uh, uh, of the recent heyday of the Red Wings. I mean, when you look at it, and I, I don't know how many times I've said it, but when you're when your top when your four centers are Steve Eiserman, Sergei Fedorov, Igor Larionov, and Chris Draper, I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. And certainly, uh, and I, I mean, I think that's the formula. I mean, certainly we see what Steve's trying to do. And obviously, I couldn't agree with you more with depth. Let's go to uh, the second addition uh, uh, up front. And uh, the Red Wings made uh, 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 f- uh, five additions, actually. Five, they bring it in five different forwards. But J.T. Comfer, uh, who obviously played for Michigan, very familiar, Andrew Kopp. Everybody kept thinking this is Andrew Kopp, too. Uh, uh, but, uh, uh, you know, certainly he had a, a coming out party and, sh- and proved that because of injury, he was given more uh, responsibility and he came through for the avalanche. Yeah, he really did. And I like him because he's a two-way forward. And it seems like Steve Eisman likes those types of players, especially in the center ice position where you're not one way, you're going to be strong defensively and, and also strong offensively in the offensive zone. Comfer's that kind of player too. He put up some pretty good numbers over the last several years in the role he played with the Avalanche. But uh, you mentioned Cop Last year, he started off the season, he was injured and really, he didn't really get going to the second half of the year, but we could see what type of player he is. He, both of those players aren't going to light it up offensively. Aren't, I don't, they're not going to score 30 goals. If they do, it's a bonus. But what I really like about it is the fact that they have their attention to detail on the defensive side of the puck. And that means they come deep into the zone. They help out the defenseman. And right now, and we'll talk a little more about the Red Wing defenseman a little bit in the show here, but I really think if you have the forwards coming back deep in the off in the defensive zone, you're just going to be that much deeper and the goals against will be um, really erased. And, and that's one area too, along with the power play that the Red Wings want to improve on. Well, let's be honest. I mean, you know, Steve altered his game and added a defensive side to it because he was such an offensive machine when he first got into the league. And, uh, you know, that was the recipe for success. You know, once Eisenman decided it was time to play defense, how could you not, if you were a Red Wings player, watching what he was able to sacrifice, which was, as you very well know, a very gifted offensive game that he had, but, you know, for the good of the team. And, you know, certainly you can see that with uh, Comfort and, and Andrew Kopp. I, I've got a feeling that Andrew Kopp, uh, although I don't know if he would publicly admit it, was probably a little disappointed in his year, even though, you know, he was coming off that core surgery, which is never easy. Uh, uh, that I, I expect big things from him. I, I mean, he just seems to have the mindset that he's certainly all business out there. Well, I look at the Red Wings, and they really don't have that many superstars on this team. I guess, you know, you look at that top line, I guess you could say Larkin, Debrinkit are the leaders on this team offensively. Raymond's right up there, too, and they hope that he can get better and stronger each and every year that he plays. But I look at the Seattle 
team, the Kraken last year, actually had four balanced lines and all four contributed offensively. And I think that's the direction that the Red Wings are really heading in right now. There's no Austin Matthews on this team. There's no Connor McDavid. So they have to really have some balance scoring in all four lines. And I think that's what we're seeing with this Detroit Red Wing team going forward is they're taking a page out of the Kraken book and they want everybody to contribute offensively up on the forward units. Well, you know, in a strange sense, and I couldn't agree more with you. I was having a couple of conversations with people, um, you know, within the organization and because Detroit does not have an elite superstar player, a guy that's, uh, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and I hate this because every time I say this, I think that I'm dissing Dylan, and I'm not. I'm just saying, you know, a guy that is just revered around the league. And But I do think the recipe that the Red Wings have to adopt because they haven't had great draft luck or years that they've had high draft picks, although Lucas Raymond obviously at four was a great pick when they fell down to four when they had the best chance of getting the number one odds that draft. But and don't get me started on the lottery. Uh, but uh, with all that said, I think the recipe that the Red Wings have to go for is getting a lot of very, very good players. And hopefully that, because if you don't lack a superstar, but let's say you've got, I don't know, six guys, seven guys, the caliber of Dylan and Debrinkit and Raymond and Fabre and, you know, David Perron. I mean, if you can, you know, Michael Rasmussen's up and coming. You can actually win in this league with that type of, you know, where you have almost, and I do hate this expression, kind of a scoring by committee. I, I don't know, Ken. I don't know if you feel the same way. That's the only way the Red Wings are going to win because unless they go out and spend big bucks on free agency, and I just don't see that happening right now. Well, I look back at the superstar teams the Red Wings had when they won the Stanley Cups and they were so dominant, Art, and you saw it as well. They never really had a top scorer that led in scoring, whether it be goals or points, but everybody contributed in their own special way. And uh, maybe the Red Wings' top scorer back then had 80 points, but everybody else was pretty much balanced and they all contributed. It didn't matter what line they were on, but uh, that's the way I think the Red Wings are going to win. And the only way I think the Red Wings can move up into the standings this year going in is their power play has to be better, their penalty killing has to be better, and defensively, they've got to cut down on the goals against. They Two years ago, they gave up, I think, over 312 goals in the course of the season. Last year, that number was cut down, and this year, that number's got to be cut down even more. So if you're better defensively, your power play's better, your penalty kill's better, uh, I think it's a good opportunity for this Red Wings to really play some meaningful games in March and April. Right. You know, I, I want to say something. I think Dylan Larkin had, I think, 16 power play goals last year. And I can remember many years ago talking about it. He led the Red Wings in power play points, and he had nine. Uh, and he, you know, he said that uh, that just isn't good enough. So, I mean, obviously he's starting to excel and, you know, and he's coming into his prime right now. So I, I think that the special teams will get better. I, I, I really do that. I think as you very well know, Derek Lalone is, uh, I mean, I think he's constantly in those guys ears about that. I mean, you know, the only way we're really going to be a better hockey club is that our special teams, because how many games, can that you've called come down to special teams play? Well, you're right about that. It's a special teams league right now. And as I mentioned before, the top 10 teams that are usually the best power play teams are the ones that usually make the playoffs. And 
it's not all about offense. You have to be sound defensively. And the other thing, too, and I know we'll talk a little more about this as the show goes on, is goalkeeping's got to be really good for the Red Wings as well. Philly Huso was terrific last year. I thought he kind of tailed off late in the year. But I think there are a lot of factors involved. I don't think he was 100% healthy late in the year. And not only that, he, he did get a lot of work. And I'm not so sure that, um, you know, he was ready for the work that was asked for him to do. And uh, this year he stayed in Michigan uh, he worked out, and he should be ready stronger for the coming season. Right. I, I certainly agree with that. Uh, real quickly, uh, projection for the second line uh, on most projections is uh, Comfort, your second line center. Robbie Fabry on the right wing. Hopefully he can stay healthy. Uh, I'm sure that he's just chomping at the bit. And then David Perron. Uh, the crafty veteran who's always good for right around 60 points a year uh, on the left side. I mean, that's a pretty formidable line, too, although I could see maybe Perron going up on that first line on occasion. Yeah, Perron, uh, that's a good good thing to have, isn't it? Because yeah. Perron can play on the first line, he can play on the second line, and uh, he was really valuable for the Red Wings last season, had a terrific year. The other thing is I think uh, Berggren could actually move up on that line with Confer and Perron too, and I don't think that uh, that line would miss a beat if he did that. So there are options that uh, the coaching staff for the Red Wings can use going into this new season coming up as far as line combinations. Well, yeah, I, 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 I've always said Berger's a player. I mean, at nauseum to a, to a couple people, Steve. But uh, I mean, but the thing is, is that you know, here's a guy that many people are saying it's like a make or break year for him. My gosh, he's, this is going to be his second year in the league. And, you know, and actually, when he came to Detroit last year, you know, as, as a call-up, he, he played well enough to stay. So I'm not worried about him. I guess it's going to be because it's a deep team, as you said, and, and let's see where the competition lies. But uh, I think the Red Wings are in a good position. If, if you're talking about Jonathan Berggren having a make-or-break season, eh, I don't really think so. I, I actually don't. I would like to see how he reacts to a much deeper team, and, and that gets me into the uh, 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 third uh, forward acquisition. And this is a very intriguing player. I think he, uh, you know, kind of had a breakout season offensively with the Kraken, and that's Daniel Sprong, who, uh, you know, one of those fellas who's always kind of been on the cusp, has had a lot of uh, fans, and they were just waiting for a moment. Maybe that moment happened last year in Seattle. Well, he had a really good year in Seattle last year, and he's a big, strong forward. And he can also be one of those guys, Art, that you could put on a checking line with maybe a guy like uh, Clem Costin. Uh, Joe Valeno, as we speak right now, isn't signed yet, but I, I think he'll be signed before the start of the preseason. But, you know, even Valeno on a fourth line with Sprung and Costin gives you some muscle there on the wings and some pretty good skating ability from Valeno. But Sprung's that kind of guy that he can also help you on the power play. Uh, he had some power play goals last year with the Seattle Kraken. And if you want a little muscle up front on the power play, maybe on the second unit, uh, I'm sure that Sprong could, you know, wouldn't miss a beat up there on the wing. No, I, you know, certainly. I, and, you know, projection for a third line with Detroit would be Andrew Kopp, a third line center, Michael Rasmussen on the left side, and uh, Daniel Sprong on the right side. I mean, I think that's a pretty good line. Uh, especially if Michael and, you know, and I certainly have been a big believer in Michael from day one, that if, if Rasmussen keeps ascending and I think he is going to get better, I mean, wow. Talk about a third line. You know, I know that maybe offensively you've always liked to be nine deep. You know, we always talk about the top six, but if that's your top nine and these guys are producing, that's a pretty good team. Well, the thing I like about Michael Rasmussen is he's a solid defensive player and not only can he help you on the penalty kill, but you can also put him out there on the wing 
as a checker, a guy that will go in the corners. He's big and strong, and he can get the puck and get it to his teammates. But he can also play the center ice position too. And I think that's important because when you have players that can can play different positions out there in the ice and not hurt your team, that just gives you more depth and uh, more flexibility as far as your forwards go. So, yeah, he's he was solid. And I think when he went out with injury last year, Art, uh, the team was a little bit different. They they weren't the same team and. You really missed uh, Michael Rasmussen out there, especially on the penalty kill. Yeah, well, yeah, when Michael went down uh, with that injury, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, I could not believe that, uh, 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 you know, what happened to uh, uh, what happened to the team. I mean, and, and that's where, and I think it surprised fans about how valuable or how much his game had grown because, uh the Red Wings weren't. They were not the same team, and and their record, unfortunately, was uh, not very good after Michael went out. So he is certainly a valuable player. You know, he is a kid that is always. I, I don't know what, how old Michael is now. Twenty three, twenty four at the most. And I, you know, I I always used to say that he is the most serious eighteen year old in the world. And when he turned 19, I would say he's the most serious 19-year-old. Uh, I mean, he does have a good personality, a good sense of humor, but he is very, very focused. And for a, ma- a young kid that age who could get caught up in the hoopla of being an NHL player, Michael Rasmussen is not one of those players. All right, I think he kind of reinvented himself. And after three or four years in the National Hockey League, you kind of figure it out and you kind of figure out where you're going to need to participate on a team and, you know, what strengths you have and what weaknesses you have. He came in as a highly touted offensive player and was really good on the power play. But over the years, he's had to change his game a little bit. And right now he's one of the better defensive players, I think, on this Red Wing team. So that just helps you. We talked about Cop and Comfort being good two-way players. Well, Michael Rasmussen's the same way, and he's not going to hurt you offensively. He continues to grow. Uh, he's getting bigger and stronger. Already had a big body coming in several years ago, but he's developed, and it's good to see that they have some strength right now on the wings that, you know, and you've got some muscle that you can win battles in the offensive zone and, and really make plays after you steal the puck or, or get possession of the puck, and Rasmussen's one of those guys. Right now, there's no, there's no doubt. Going back now to, uh, we mentioned him a little bit. This is a guy, and I know uh, uh, yesterday, we're doing this on August uh, 17th, but yesterday uh, Jeff Petrie had his introductory press conference and you know, t- talking to uh, our fellow colleagues, our fellow media scribes or so. Uh, uh, I, I would love to see, and I think this guy has a lot of potential, and I really like what he did at the end of the season with Edmonton. He has always been former number one pick. Always had, uh, a, you know, a potential. And then last year in the playoffs, he was also very good for the Oilers. And granted, he's playing with some really high-end players, Connor McDavid and uh, Leon Drysaddle and the likes. Uh, and, you know, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I can go on. I mean, Edmonton is kind of loaded. Uh, but uh, that is uh, Clem Costin, whom uh, I think is just a big, powerful forward who has just scratched the surface of his potential. Yeah, it seemed like Steve Eiserman and uh, the rest of the staff really liked him. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Art, but uh, wasn't Yamamoto part of that deal too? And then the Red Wings uh, just didn't use Yamamoto. Was that right? right? Well, they bought him out, but yeah. you know, but you know what? And then I think I think Yama, Yamamoto, who I think is from the the Great Northwest, I think he signed with with Seattle. I'm going off the top of my head here, but 
I was under the impression, or at least from you know my impression was that ya Yamamoto might have been the key member of that trade actually, uh, uh, and because uh, I always kind of liked his game a little bit too. Yet you know obviously uh, you know Steve uh, Steve saw something differently. Well, I see Costin in a role like maybe a third or fourth line player where. He's big, he's strong, and sometimes when you have the lead and it gets down to the wire in a hockey game, you put that uh, strong check-in line out there. And like I said before, if you team him with Sprung, Cost, and put Rasmussen out there, they can shut teams down, I believe. So he's one of those guys that, that you know, like everyone talks about goal scoring and offensive numbers, but Costin's the kind of guy that you need, especially on a third or fourth line, where he's going to give you a little bit of muscle. He's strong. He's not going to hurt you defensively and can really help your team. you got to have players like that on your squad. Yeah, another player that might be in the uh, Clem Costin version, but, uh, uh, but North American uh, version is, uh, and, and I really like this player too, is Christian uh, uh, Fisher. Uh, you know, who played out in Arizona and, you know, you, you, you know that, that might as well be out, you know, shipped out to Siberia at times sometimes. You know, I, I, I think probably the Coyotes have a lot of pretty good players, Clayton, uh, Clayton Keller, I, I can name a few, but, I mean, you're almost lost out there. They're not a top-of-mind club. And then when you really look at what Fisher has been able to do and accomplish, he's a pretty nice little player. Yeah, and he's not going to hurt you as well, and you can kind of put him in anywhere in the lineup, and you know, you're not going to get hurt, as I mentioned, but he's one of those players that can add depth to your team, and there's always injuries in the National Hockey League, so if you have a guy like Costin or Sprong who goes out, Rasmussen with injuries, you could also put Christian Fisher in there. At times he scored some big goals, and other times he was strong defensively, and you have to have depth right now in order to win in the National Hockey League, and that's where I see... Christian Fisher fitting into this Red Wing team. He's not going to hurt you anywhere you insert him into the lineup. And whether it's a checking line or mixing and matching him with somebody else out there, he's going to be a valuable part of this Red Wing team. Yeah, certainly. And then uh, looking at the uh, a, a line, and we, we've mentioned him a bit, and obviously Joe Valeno is going to be signed. But uh, fourth line of, of Valeno, Fisher, and Costin is a projection I see quite often. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty solid fourth line, as you said. Uh, uh, all of them, uh, you know, I think Joe would like to get better a little bit defensively and, and better on faceoffs, but uh, that, that's a pretty good fourth line as far as grit and determination and maybe shutting down uh, the other team's top line. Well, it'll be interesting going into training camp because there's a couple of other young players that really want to make this team as well. And if they make it, great. If they don't, they're not going to lose anything because they'll be getting some valuable experience in Grand Rapids and also playing perhaps maybe 18 to 20 minutes a game. And those two players are Marco Casper and Carter Mazur. And Mazur really impressed me in his last six games with the Grand Rapids Griffins last year. And it'll be interesting to see how much of a push they have on some of the other members on this team. And you know, it's not really that much of a long shot. I thought Casper looked pretty good in the only game that he played last year. You can see that he's got a lot of talent. Again, you don't want to have a player playing eight minutes where a young player like Casper could be playing 20, 23 minutes in the American League and, and getting bigger and stronger and playing in all different types of situations. But obviously, Mazur and Casper are two players that really come, want to come into training camp and try to win a job. Yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, you 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 talked about it. I I was really impressed with Marco Casper 
uh, in the one game that I saw him, but he obviously is a fella that can play a two-way game. Uh, he likes to mix it up. He did not seem, and I know you called this game, Ken, he did not seem intimidated at all and got his nose dirty constantly going to the net in front of the net when he was uh, 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 you know, in his NHL debut, which uh, really do, does look promising. I know you can't judge everything on one game, but what we saw in that one game was pretty, uh, 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 pretty nice to see. Well, the other thing about Marco Casper is uh, when you and I were calling the three-on-three games in development camp a couple years ago, he was by far heads and shoulder above everybody else in that development camp. And you can just see where one day he's going to be a really solid National Hockey League player. Now, again, Steve Eisman's not going to rush these youngsters. If they're ready to play, they're ready to play. Uh, if they're not, they're going to get the valuable experience in Grand Rapids. But uh, again, I liked his attitude. I think he's a well-rounded player, Marco Casper, and he's a guy down the road that's going to help the Red Wings team. Right, I, I agree, and and you look at it, and, and you know, uh, you know, and plus for veteran depth, you know, Matt Luff, who had some injury <laughs> problems himself. I mean, there's a good guy who, whether he's in GR or he comes up on a, a occasion here in Detroit, you know, they're not going to miss, uh, they're not going to miss a beat with him either. I mean, I think that, uh, uh, you know, and then and then Jonathan Bergeron, whom I just can't see him not making this lineup. But then again, when you bring in Carter Mazur and you have all the uh, forward additions we just talked about, and, uh, you know, certainly, uh, I mean, there is, a, there is, there's competition. There's competition, it's deep. And as Steve has said many times, wouldn't we love to have the problem of these young guys coming on and earning spots on the team? Then we have to make difficult decisions. But that's what you want. That's what you, how you want to manage your team. You want to make tough decisions. You don't want it to be a clear cut. These are my 12 forwards. Well, you're right about that. And it's all about competition. And again, I think for the first time in, in a long time, the Red Wings actually have some depth. And all these new faces that the Red Wings got uh, are veteran hockey players that have NHL experience. The guys that Steve Eiserman brought in over the summertime. And that tells me that the young guys just aren't ready to go yet. And what I mean by that is that they're going to really play a lot of minutes in Grand Rapids. And all these guys are going to play together as a unit. And when some of these other contracts from veteran players expire, they'll be ready to play and you can pencil them in the lineup. But, um, you know, I can remember when Nick Cronwall was uh, just starting off and, you know, he played a year there in Grand Rapids and everybody was there together as well. This kind of reminds me of that. But when you have guys like Casper and Edvinson and Johansson and Soderblom, Carter Mazur, the list goes on and on, you're starting to get some pretty good hockey players that will be getting some valuable experience in Grand Rapids with the Griffins. You know, I'll never forget. Um, speaking of Nicholas Cromwell, um, you know, I was back in the studio and you were calling the game uh, uh, on the Red Wing Radio Network. And I remember you telling us that Cromwell literally tripped over the blue line or something. He got hurt. Remember, he broke his leg. That was I out mean, in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah right out in L.A. I remember you. T and I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, he was a guy who obviously a great player but really had a lot of odd injuries, especially early in his career, but he really persevered and came through. Yeah, he did. That actually was in the warmups in Los Angeles. He right. was, uh, they were doing, I think, three on two rushes and 
he uh, was skating backwards, caught a rut, and the next thing you know, he broke his leg or broke his ankle, and then he was out for a while. The other injury I remember he had, we were in Denver, and I think it was at the old McNichols Arena where he was skating, he got tripped up, and a player's skate came and actually severed his nose and uh, took him out of the lineup for a little bit too. So you're absolutely right about Nick. He uh, he was injured quite a bit there early on in his career, but what a solid defenseman he became and really a big part of this Red Wing team down the road. Right, certainly. And uh, let's move to the new additions defensively and see maybe how those defensive uh, pairs will shake out. Uh, you know, certainly... Um, uh, it, it does look like Mo Sider and uh, Jake Wallman are going to be the number one pair, but uh, then it gets a little dicey, and I think it's based on the uh, the additions that uh, uh, Steve made to the club this offseason. Uh, up first, let's go with uh, yesterday's uh, uh, star of his own press conference uh, uh, at Little Caesars Arena, and that is uh, Jeff Petrie. Uh, uh, certainly, I mean, I remember, I remember Dan talking about him, his father Dan talking about him when he was still, you know, up and coming, hadn't gone to Michigan State, you know, was just really getting into hockey, saying, I think my son, the people tell me he's good in hockey. Well, certainly he's good in hockey. What an addition. I mean, I think, Ken, and I don't know, and we were both from Detroit, if I finally make a dream, which is probably become an NHL player, but then to top it off where I finally play for the team that I love, that being the Detroit Red Wings, I would think that that's got to add a couple more years to my career, mentally at least. I mean, I, I think this is going to work out really, really well for Jeff Petrie and the Red Wings. Hard to believe, Art, that uh, Jeff Petrie's been in the National League for as long as he's been in it. It just seemed like he just came in. Time really flies, but... You know, he's, he's kind of up there in age, but I think still think he has a lot of a uh, couple good years ahead of him. And I always remember Scotty Bowman talking about defensemen, and he says you can't have enough veteran blue liners. And when you look at what the Red Wings have right now on the blue liners, they're all veteran players that have a lot of National Hockey League experience, with the exception of Mo Sider. But when you look at Mo Sider, he's probably the best of the bunch, and he's only, what, 22, 23 years old, if that. So... The guy has been uh, unbelievable in his couple years already with the net, with the Detroit Red Wings. And, uh, you know, Wallman took really big strides for the Red Wings as well. And his offensive upside really surprised me. When he first came in after the trade from St. Louis, he had a really good shot. He could skate like the wind. But he really improved his offensive game. And now he's deking players, uh, doing a good job of holding the puck in at the blue line. And he's really become an offensive threat back there on the blue line too. Gostas Bear... He's another defenseman that uh, early in his career, he was putting up really good numbers with the Philadelphia Flyers. He's had some uh, injury problems over the course of his career, but again, he's got veteran experience. And uh, Petrie, as you mentioned, played with a pretty good Pittsburgh team last year. And although his numbers are, offensive numbers are kind of trickling downward a little bit, I still think that he can put up some numbers uh, for Detroit on the blue line as well. Well, right. You know, I, I, I love having uh, Gaspierre here. Uh, I, I've always been a big fan of his. Uh, not sure, you know, I think a little bit of injuries, things happen in Philadelphia. Uh, you know, I, I really equate him. I asked him this question. He reminds me of where he's at in his career now, uh, of, of exactly what uh, uh, Ole Mata faced last year. And, you know, I know Mata came from the Kings and was really disappointed. And Gaspier, you know, he was, he was you know, with, uh, with Arizona uh, signed a one-year deal, much like Mata, who played himself into a two-year extension. Uh, I think, and especially on the power play, I was 
I, you know, I because I overreact a lot. I was pretty ecstatic when they signed him. Yeah, and you you always need those numbers from your blue line core, you know, and you need that uh, that offense from them. And after Ronick was traded and went to Vancouver, there was a little bit of a hole back there as far as um, you know numbers and and who's going to be your your defenseman that's going to help step up and put some numbers on the board. And I still think that every team in the National Hockey League needs one or two of those types of players. And and guys like Gostas Bear can play on the power play. He can help you out. Cider, Wallman. And don't forget, Jeff Petrie's got some uh, power play uh, ability as well, and he's not going to hurt you on the blue line as well. Oli Mata, to me, he was really steady. I think out of all the defensemen last year, whenever he was in the lineup, you could say that he was probably one of the most steadier defensemen back there on the blue line. Ben Sherratt, big, tough, strong uh, defenseman. You know, he's he, he can uh, help out back there as far as giving you a physical uh, presence and sh- being a t- shutdown type of defenseman. And then don't forget uh, Hall that came over from Toronto. And you know, I think maybe a new experience for him, a new place to play is going to help him out. Well, I, I think so, too. And, and, you know, and Steve giving him, what was it, a three-year deal, I think, you know, gives him a little bit, uh, uh, you know, security, certainly, but, but, but also confidence. I mean, when a fellow like Steve Eiserman uh, believes in you that much and gives you, and let's be honest, Steve is, uh, I think Steve is known for the one- and two-year deals, right? And so, uh, yeah, when, when he makes a commitment like that to a player, it's got to make him feel good. Well, and the other thing, too, is you have Simon Edvinson down in Grand Rapids if he starts the year down there. And you've got uh, Albert Johansson, who was injured. And when Edvinson was called up last year, actually, it was Johansson who was the player that was probably going to head up instead of Edvinson. But because he was injured, Edvinson got the chance to play. So he's got a little bit of National Hockey League experience. Johansson's right on the cusp there of uh, getting in and, and helping out this Red Wing team in case there's injury as well. Right, yeah, I mean, absolutely. You look at it, a lot of depth on the blue line, veteran veteran presence, veteran leadership, yet I think we're in agreement, and I asked Petrie this yesterday, uh, I, I, I don't think it's even a question. I mean, the best of the bunch is a 22-year-old German named Mo Sider, who yep. I think is like a sponge. I think having being surrounded by this veteran talent is only going to make him better, which for the opposition in the NHL should be a scary thought. And he's one of those guys down the road's going to play 28, 30 minutes a game. Uh, he, he's just uh, he's just a terrific uh, uh, blue liner insider, and he just keeps getting better and better. And we haven't seen the best from him. And I, I would imagine down the road he's going to win a couple of Norris trophies because he's that good. No, he definitely is that good. You know, I, I was laughing when we were talking about the Brinket, and you brought up uh... – uh, where uh, and I know on Inside Hockey Time with which you did with Daniela Bruce, I, I listened to that show and Debrinka was your guest and yep. you guys kind of brought that up a little bit when he got into the uh, a little bit of the tussle with Mo. But I could still remember. I mean, Debrinka punching upward because Mo is obviously a little taller than uh, uh, than uh, than Alex. Uh, I think hit him square in the chin, square <laughs> in the chin with a punch, and Mo. His look, it was priceless. It's like, you know, hey, fella, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not gonna, he just skates away. for a, At that point, I think he was 21 because he only turned 22, I believe, in April. Uh, that uh, That's what is amazing about him is his poise on the ice for as young as he is. That's the thing that stands out to me. Yeah, I was joking uh, with 
to bring it on that Inside Hockey Town show, I said, are you going to come into the training camp in Traverse City? Are you going to walk up to Cider and say, hey, you think we're going to have a problem here or what? <laughs> but, you know, Mo, Mo might have destroyed him, you know, but he kind of let him go just because of the size mismatch right there. But, hey, it's great to have the bring it on your side now, and it's great to have Cider. And he's one of those guys like Nick Lidstrom. I used to tell people when they wanted to watch a game at Joe Louis Arena or at Little Caesars Arena, and they would say, like, you know, like, what should I watch out there if they were new to the game? I said, just keep your eye on number five out there, Nick Lidstrom. That's all you got to do because watch him play. He rarely makes a mistake, and you're going to learn so much just by watching him. Same thing with Mo Sider right now. If you're a young player and you go to a hockey game, watch how he performs. Watch how he reads the play, and you'll learn a lot just by watching Mo Sider. No, there's, there, there's no question. And I can remember asking him about his ability to turn the other cheek, shall we say, and he always says before, if, if the game's going to get physical and, you know, unless it's a complete cheap shot or something, he certainly defend himself. In his mind, he thinks, is it a good trade-off for me to fight this guy, to be gone for five minutes? You know, how will that impact the other team? If this guy is, you know, maybe a lesser player, shall we say, then he's not going to fight him. Which, again, I think it's pretty amazing to think like that. Well, that just tells you how smart of a player he is, right? And right. a lot of guys, a lot of guys will just look at the moment, and if they're, you know, if someone's challenging them, they'll drop the gloves and go at it, and then the next thing you know, your best defenseman's in the penalty box. That was another thing Scotty Bowman used to say. He said, you know, if you're a defenseman, don't fight. Let the forwards go because you're more valuable as a defenseman. We need those defensemen on the ice, especially if you're one of the top defensemen on your team. So, you know, turn the other cheek. And uh, I know it's difficult in certain situations, but you need Mo Sider out there on the ice as much as you can. Well, certainly. And, you know, going back to Scotty, I can remember, uh, you know, Joe Koser tells this story when they, you know, when they brought him in, when they uh, rescued him from the beer leagues. Uh, and then the quote unquote, the grind wine was born at that moment or soon afterward. Uh, he said that he, he signs with Detroit. He's played his first game. You know, he's all he's all psyched up. He's ready to do battle. You know, and you know he, he was going to lay somebody out, which he did, I think, on the uh, on his first shift out there uh, back back with the Red Wings. But Scotty told him not to fight. Yeah. Scotty said, I, "You're not here to fight." And and Coaster again, much like Bob Probert, everyone talks about the Bruce brothers, but they were pretty good hockey players. I mean, they had talent. They just weren't, you know, the Bruce brothers. But uh, and Kosher said he was stunned. He was absolutely stunned. Like what he thought he was going to be brought in for, Scotty told him, no, we don't want you to do that. But then again, with Kosher on your bench, that's all you need, I guess, right, as a deterrent. Well, you're right about that. And think about all the nice goals that, that Kosher scored. I can remember the one he scored in Philadelphia. I think it was game one of the um, Stanley Cup final. It was a beautiful right. goal. and. You know, that, that checking line actually, or the grind line, was really instrumental in the first couple of games in Philadelphia for the Red Wings to take that two games to none lead. Right, and not having uh, Vladdy go up against the Legion of Doom and putting Nick and Murph out there against against the Legion of Doom. And as you know, and Nick and Larry have told me over the years, they were as surprised as anybody, but what happened? The Legion of Doom never had the puck because they controlled the game so well. Right. And boy, what a series that was with Philadelphia. And I still remember, I remember driving to uh, game one and uh, we rented a car and I had WIP radio on. That was the Philadelphia sports station. And all the fans were in Philadelphia were talking about 
where the parade was going to start and where it was going to end. And they were arguing about that. And I'm thinking to myself, you haven't even played a game yet, right? So then after game two, I'm taking the car back to the to the airport and I'm turning on WIP radio again. And they're all moaning and crying and saying like, oh, we don't have a chance anymore, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it, it really changed. And I think the Red Wings were just the quicker team and they were the underdog in that series. Oh, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, they, they came out, played really well in the first two games and then took it to the Flyers again in games three and four. Well, you know, getting getting Colorado off their back, so to speak, not only with March 26, but in the, I think it was the Western Conference semifinal where they played them and lost the first game like one to nothing or two to one something. It was a real close game. And then that second game where Nick, remember that puck was past Vernie. It was going and Nick cleared the crease out of nowhere. He came out of nowhere. And, you know, at that moment on, the Red Wings turned it on. They got rid of, they dispatched of Colorado and once that happened, I don't that they weren't going to be denied. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. I mean, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, St. Louis, Colorado, Dallas, and then and then Philly. I think those were uh, uh, were the teams that they had to beat to win their first cup in 42 years. But you know, Ken, as usual, when you and I start talking, we can go all over the place and start <laughs> reminiscing. But uh, uh, but uh, what a just what a wonderful uh, uh, experience that was being native Detroiters to uh, to watch something like that. The team that we followed our whole lives finally break through. And, uh, you know, and not only that, but <laughs> those fellas pretty much broke through four times. So that's pretty good. You know, you know what, Art? It's, it's also good that on this team that you have a lot of players that are from Michigan that actually want to be Red Wings. And we mentioned Petrie, Alex Debrinkit. And I think he really gave the Red Wings a hometown discount with the type of uh, – uh, signing that he was and then you've got uh, Dylan Larkin and you've got uh, Comfer and you've got uh, Cop out there that are all from the area and and it's good to have so many Michiganders that you know grew up here in in Michigan and around the Detroit metropolitan area and now Red Wings and they all want to play for their hometown team which is good right certainly and I and I'm sure that up in East Lansing they're they're pretty happy now that they finally have a Michigan Stater on this team because uh you know, certainly it has a, a distinct University of Michigan flavor, the Red Wings, uh, when you look at college hockey. But, Ken, we can't argue with that, right? I mean, you know, Michigan hockey is pretty good. Well, it is. Michigan hockey has been terrific over the last several years with all the players they put in the National Hockey League. But uh, Michigan State over the years, too, they put a ton of players in the NHL. And, you know, you, you look at uh, Petrie, obviously he was really solid when he was at Michigan State. But, uh, you know, you've got goaltenders now in the system I like uh, the new goaltender we saw in the development camp, Trey Augustine. Oh yeah, and no I think doubt. he, I think he's got a bright future as long as he continues to uh, to develop. I understand he's going to play at the Michigan State University. Is that right? Yes, he definitely he committed to state. Uh, Adam Nightingale, our old buddy, now the 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 head of the Spartans, uh, uh, and, and then you have Brandon Narado, who's head of Michigan, and these guys work together with the Red Wings. So. Uh, uh, it's pretty interesting how that goes. Trey Augustine, very, very calm. He's like the Michael Rasmussen of goal, of goaltenders. Uh, <laughs> uh, just very, very uh, calm. I really, really do uh, like his game. And with that transition, let's get into goaltending a little bit. Obviously, Huso's the number one. But I think in uh, James Reimer, who has always been the, the ultimate pro, uh, had a real rough year last year in San Jose. But who didn't have a rough year last year with the Sharks? Uh, and then Alex Lyon, who was a career almost journeyman, really came on for the Panthers last year and put up some great numbers and helped them get into the playoffs. Uh, I mean, I think there could be a battle for number two. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see how everything plays out. And we saw Billy Huso last year. He got a lot of work. And we saw after a while, he kind of just went south a little bit. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just that, uh, you know, the Red Wings just didn't have the goaltending depth that they needed to help out. And, you know, this year, if, if Billy Huso, I was just throwing some numbers around. If Billy Huso wins, let's say, 33 games, that's 66 points for Detroit. The other two goaltenders, whether it's Reimer or Lyon, or whoever is going to be tending goal has to win about 13 to 15 games for the Red Wings to at least have a chance to make the playoffs. So there's a lot of pressure on the backup goaltenders this year. And Billy Huso's got to come back and he's got to have a stronger year than he had a year ago. He's got to win hockey games. But the key, I think, are the backup goaltenders. You know, Reimer's going to have to bounce back after uh, a difficult year with San Jose. He's proven that he can do that. He's had some good years in previous uh, years in the National Hockey League. He is getting older, but, um, you know, again, if, if the Red Wings are solid defensively in front of those goaltenders, good things will happen. But again, the key is Lyon and Reimer, and they've got to win, uh, like I said, 13 to 15 games between them if they want a shot at trying to stay close and, and make it to the playoffs. I'm looking at the uh, goaltending projections, and this is coming from uh, the fantasy guide for the hockey news. So, you know, I, I, I you know, still addicted to the hockey news. I have been for like decades now. Uh, and, and I really think they've really upped their game in, in recent years. So a little plug there for the hockey news. But uh, uh, in their goaltending projections, they have Huso with 27 wins and Reimer with 14. Mm-hmm. So well, that's is, about right. Right, right. Was re, re, really right on. And a, unfortunately, uh, Alex Lyon is not included in their little uh, uh, predictions. Uh, Ken, uh, you know, I, I think we know. Uh, I, I definitely think that, that, that Huso is the key. I think he wants to play better. I think he has something to prove for himself. I mean, what was it? He, the most he ever had played in the National Hockey League was 30-some-odd games. Uh, and, you know, and, and he went up to... Uh, uh, what 55 56 last year so you know that was quite a uh, uh, quite a difference for him uh, but let's look at some of the high-end prospects we've seen play uh, and, and I think when Petrie was added to the uh, uh, Red Wing lineup when Steve pushed uh, uh, made that deal everybody looked at wow this is a really kind of an indictment on Simon Evanson or does this mean he's injured and he he won't come back because he's recovering from surgery uh, again, I think it's competition. If Simon Edmondson comes in, if he's healthy, and makes the team, he makes the team. I mean, that's the Red Wing way. Right, again, but he's not going to be given the job. He's got to no. earn it. And, again, uh, didn't he have some off-season surgery, Simon Edmondson? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. He, he, he definitely had uh, uh, surgery this year. Uh, and, and the recovery time, I mean, the short end of the recovery time means he's going to be ready for training camp. The long end of the recovery time means he's not going to be ready until maybe American Thanksgiving, hmm. depending yeah. on how he heals. Well, again, they're not going to rush him, right? And uh, you can see, though, he has all the tools. We saw him play a handful of games last year with the Red Wings, and he's got all the tools to become a solid defenseman in the National Hockey League. And again, when you're injured, you don't want to rush back. You want to make sure, especially if you're a young player, that uh, you, you, you get healed up properly so that when you do come back, you're ready to go. Right. I mean, in 52 games last year for Grand Rapids, uh, Evanson had five goals, 22 assists, 27 points, and 52 penalty minutes. In that league, which can be brutal at times, 
Uh, I, I, I think that th those are not bad numbers, especially for a Grand Rapids team that never quite found themselves last year, although there are a lot of call-ups and injuries uh, you know, on, their own, uh, on their own accord. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about Marco Casper, but I think maybe <laughs> I'm going to put a lot of pressure on him. But uh, the, the, the one guy who maybe there's more riding on him, although Trey Augustine is a good addition, and I, I actually can see him playing in Detroit too, but is Sebastian Cosa. Big year for Cosa. He played very, very well last year for Toledo. Uh, 26, 16, and 1. Goals against 2.56. Save percentage of 913. Even better in the playoffs. Uh, I, I, I really think that if Cosa can come in and replicate and exceed what he was able to do his first year pro in Toledo, maybe his timeline can be pushed up a little bit when we see him here in Detroit. Well, you know, he's the future, I think, of the, of the Detroit Red Wings down the road. And again, he just has to continue to improve at each and every level. And he, he, we saw that when he was playing uh, with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Yeah, he struggled a little bit early on last year, but I think there was a lot of uh, issues there as far as you know him getting settled, finding a place to stay, and that kind of kind of struggle with that a little bit. But then once he got his uh, mindset on focusing on hockey, he really did well. And uh, there was a stretch late in the year with Toledo where he just couldn't lose, and he was only giving up I don't know one goal a game and had uh, four shutouts, something like that. And he was uh, a man amongst boys there in. Uh, the league with the Toledo Walleye. But again, this year, if, if he's given the opportunity to play in Grand Rapids, which I assume that's what's going to happen, uh, I, I just think his ability to play as much as he can is only going to suit him better. And, and I think that's what Steve Eisman wants from Kosa. It's, he wants him to play. Didn't want him to stay in Grand Rapids last year if he was just going to sit around. He needed to play. Uh, he honed his game, was really good with Toledo, and now it's the next best step for him. Now he's got to prove it in the American League, and once he does it there, he's ready for the National League. Yeah, certainly. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. And, you know, I, I know that I, I don't really want to talk about this year's draft picks, although I did see uh, a few of them play at the Summer Showcase in Plymouth a few uh, a few weeks back. And uh, everyone, I thought, acquitted themselves quite well. Anton Johansson has probably come out of nowhere, though. He seemed to be Sweden's best defenseman, probably is going to make their World Junior team uh, in that tournament that's right around the holidays. And, uh, 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 you know, but maybe a forgotten man who actually really had a really good year last year with Rogla in the Swiss League. I think he was, like, defenseman of the year, or he won some major award. I can't remember off the top of my head. But in 50 games played for Rogla, 7 goals, 19 assists, 20, uh, 26 points, a plus 10 is uh, William Wallander, only 21 years mm -hmm. old. Yeah, he's got a good upside to him. You mentioned Johansson, six foot four, right-handed shot defenseman, 196 pounds. He's only going to get stronger. And, uh, you know, he's one of those guys that we'll be reckoned with down the road. And Wallander, another high draft choice for Detroit. And again, I, you, you got to like the way Steve Eiserman drafted over the last several years. And a lot of his draft choices went to defensemen. And I will say this, you can never have too many defensemen. And it seems like when you get into the playoffs, the more you have in your system, the better off you are. Right, yes, yeah, certainly. And uh, Wallander, I remember the Red Wings got him very early in the second round, I believe. And he's six foot four. I mean, he's a big, strong, solid defender. So down the road, you're going to see a lot of these redwoods, as I like to call them, definitely uh, come, coming up. There you we have go. Cider, maybe Wallander, and uh, you know the list goes on and on. And they're going to be big and strong and solid back there on the blue line the years to come. 
It really is is not uh, a Ken Cal podcast until he says Redwoods. <laughs> <laughs> but Wallander, yeah, I, I think the Red Wings thought that he would be gone by the time they picked very early in the second round. You know, they had him slotted in the first round, and, uh, you know, he, he kind of fell to them. Uh, uh, real interesting. You know, I, I wanted to read a, uh, a tweet that I actually uh, have saved here, and it's from our good buddy Pat Caputo, uh, who uh, this is from July 4th, and he was talking about the additions. Obviously, Petrie was not an addition at that point. And where do you think the Red Wings are? And this was my first thought, too, although I did not statistically – know what you know in my mind like pat was able to dish it out he wrote uh again pat caputo a tweet from uh july 4th uh, 2023 departed skaters bertuzzi heronic verana ernie Suter, osterly hag zadina and Sfunquist. and we wish all those guys the best i mean they represented this city they did they did a fine job and nothing but the best to them as they move on with their with their hockey careers they combined for 50 goals and a minus 40 for the Red Wings last season. Skaters acquired Comfer, Sprong, Gospierre, Hull, and Costin combined for 63 goals and a plus 43 in 22-23. I mean, that's pretty impressive. I, I, you know, you can say, well, they made a play on better teams, or, you know, they have, you know, you, you can make arguments one way, but when the discrepancy is that big, how can you not think the Red Wings are better? On paper, they are better. Uh, the, the the problem now, if it's a problem, is you got to go out there and you got to perform, right? And you got to get better and you got to play as a team. And obviously, I like those numbers that Pat actually brought out. And and again, on paper, you look at this team; they got really good four lines that uh, they can throw out each and every game, providing they're healthy. I want to see Robbie Fabry play a lot this year, and I pray that he can make it through an 82 game schedule because it seems like he's always on the injured list. But, uh, you know, veteran blue line core with Mo Sider being the youngest player on that blue line core, but probably the best defenseman the Red Wings have. Again, goaltending is going to be key, I think, for the Red Wings. But overall, you have to like what Steve Eiserman did, bringing in the new players and also the depth that the Red Wings are starting to build now in Grand Rapids. All right, Ken, I'm going to put you on the spot. How many 20-goal scores on this club? Wow. I, I think a lot of it depends on your power play. And I really believe the power play is going to be a lot better this year. And I think it's going to creep up. So um, I, I would think maybe three to four 20 goal scorers this year. All right, boy. I The, the, the real optimistic side says possibly eight, but that would mean some guys would really have to come through. Uh, and, and you're right. I mean, power play uh, would be the key. Uh, any 30 or 40 goal scorers on this club? Well, Dabrink obviously is a guy that could be one of those players that uh, could score 30, 35, maybe even 40 goals if he has a really good year. Dylan Larkin's right around that 30-goal plateau, too, although, uh, you know, I see him probably between 27 and 30 goals, maybe a little bit more. So you could have a 40-goal score. You could have a 30-goal score. But, again, I think it all it's all about your numbers being better on all four lines, and if everyone can just take that next step and maybe pitch in with two or three or five more goals, now all of a sudden you're scoring more as a team, and it really takes the pressure off the top couple lines if everybody else is contributing. Right. I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's a great way to uh, uh, to end up everything. And Lucas Raymond, at least 25 goals this year. Uh, I, he, could, he has certainly the capability to be a 30-goal scorer as well. Ken? It seems like this is like year number 100 for us covering this team. <laughs> but, but We're a little ancient out there, I think. <laughs> yeah, but it, it never gets old. 
I'm pretty psyched to see this edition of the Red Wings. I, I like what Steve has done. Uh, you know, he's never, oh, it's never over with Steve. I mean, if he finds, like I said earlier, to begin this thing, if he finds something that he likes, makes this team better, he's going to do it. So uh, uh, it, there, you always have to keep uh, your eyes open with Steve Eiserman as your general manager. But uh, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm excited to, uh, uh, you know, be doing the prospects tournament, uh, seeing you up in camp doing those games, yep. live streaming. And then obviously uh, the red and white uh, game, and I believe it's August 24th on that Sunday, which is always fun, too, uh, where we can see uh, uh, this Red Wing club uh, in a, uh, you know, a, a scrimmage, obviously, but in competition for the first time against one another. Well, I always say this, Art, uh, in order to make the playoffs, you just got to get to the playoffs and you got to get to the dance. And once you get to the dance in hockey, which is so much fun, anybody can win the Stanley Cup. And we've seen it over the last, you know, 20 years in the NHL. The Kings had... They were the eighth uh, seed and ended up winning a Stanley Cup. Look what happened to the Florida Panthers last year. Two years ago, they were President Trophy winners. Last year, they barely made it in, went to the Stanley Cup final. So you can never win the Stanley Cup if you don't qualify for the playoffs. But once you get in, it's anybody's ballgame. Right. That's exactly right. Once you get in, that's all you need to do. It's a very difficult division. The Eastern Conference uh, is loaded, yet uh, the Red Wings have put themselves in a position to compete this year, legitimately compete, and that's a good thing. Well, it really is, and uh, the division is tough, and Boston's not going to get 135 points this year, so some of those uh, some of those losses that they're going to have, even if they, they lose 15 more games this year, they're still going to be around 100 points, so... They've lost some key players in Bergeron and Krejci, but they're still a solid club. I think Tampa Bay's window's closing a little bit. They could fall off a little bit. But again, Toronto's going to be good. I think Florida's going to be good. I think Buffalo is starting to come around now, and they're knocking on the door. Ottawa Senators are going to be a little bit better, and so are the Red Wings. So it's going to be a, a tough tough division and you got to win games against your division this year if you want to make the playoffs well yeah that's certainly right you've you, you've got to be a force within your own division uh and, and if you are you've put yourself in a good position ken it's always a pleasure uh you, you're one of my dearest friends as you very well know and i always love talking hockey to you and uh thank you for joining us on the red and white authority always a pleasure art have a good year too